Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. As we come to the Lord's Supper, one of the things that we need to be thinking about it. You have a lot of battles that go on in this life. There's, there's battles you have with your relationships, battles with your health, uh, just battles to get through the day at work or with, with uh, your family or whatever. There's all these constant battles. And as we take this supper, one of the things that we're reminded of is that our victory comes through Jesus Christ, not through our efforts. So if you're trying to fight all these battles on your own, It's never going to work, and you're always going to be frustrated and always feel like you're missing something because these battles have to be fought through Jesus. Let's have a prayer. Father, we just pray that uh, you would open our hearts and minds uh, as we take this meal to remember you and to remember your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. There may be times in your life that you figure, like, you know, I messed it all up. I've done it again. It's not going to get any better. And then we're reminded that The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross isn't because God was angry with us and wanted to judge us. It's because God loved us and wanted to save us and reunite us with him. And this supper reminds us of that, that you could do nothing to take away your own sins, but Jesus came in love to do what you couldn't do, dying on the cross to take your sins upon him. And so you find forgiveness, you find grace, you find family, all through the meal that we're taking here today. This is the body of Christ, which is broken for you. Today we're going to be talking about the second coming of Jesus. And in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, it says, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes again. And so this meal contains uh, a very positive looking to the second coming. And what it says is this. Okay, you've got battles. You've got troubles. You've got problems in your life. Some of those problems in your life may even overcome you and kill you. But there's hope. There is victory. Because this meal reminds us that we do show the Lord's death until he comes again to take us to be with him in glory forever. And that's our hope and our victory, the blood of Christ, which is shed for you. So take out your Bibles, turn over to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. Matthew 25, beginning with verse 1. Matthew 25, beginning with verse 1. Now, maybe most of you don't remember 1984. Anybody remember that? Thank you, David. Thank you. But in 1984, a movie came out with Arnold Schwarzenegger that made him famous. Does anybody remember the name of the movie? The Terminator. That's exactly right. I'm so old, I remember when it was a first-run movie and saw it in the theaters, okay? Uh, I saw The Terminator then. And uh, they had that famous scene uh, in the police station where they don't give Arnold what he wants, and he makes his famous statement. Anybody remember what it was? I'll be back. Got a picture of Arnold right here. And he did come back. 
And that kind of caught on after that. Over and over again, people kept re- repeating that phrase. They still repeat it today. I'll be back. That's my best Arnold impersonation that you're going to get here today. And so Arnold did come back in that movie in a pretty frightening way. Well, I start with that this morning because we're going to be looking over in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. It's a very simple story that Jesus tells uh, about the second coming. And, and yet, sometimes we miss the power of what Jesus is saying, but the whole point is, I'll be back. And uh, if you want to turn, turn that over to our Terminator illustration, you can get a t-shirt today with Jesus and Arnold glasses that says, he'll be back, and that will then let you know. Uh, for some of you, you'd think it's really funny and you'll wear it. Others of you would think you're going to hell if you wear that jacket, or that, that t-shirt. But whatever it is, you can get that uh, if you need it. But it's Jesus saying he'll be back. Now, Matthew 25, the story we're going to look at is a story about a wedding and ten bridesmaids. And uh, the, the story, when I started looking at some commentaries, commentaries, it's actually a very simple story. It makes three very simple points. And yet, when I would read the commentaries, they would say things like this. Oh, this is a very controversial story. Uh, This parable, nobody quite gets it or understands it. And I'm going, well, you can't get any simpler than this story. What are they talking about? And then you would read it, and they'd say, does this story take place before or after after a rapture? Is it premillennial or postmillennial? And they'd go through all this kind of stuff, and i go, oh, my goodness. Have we gone so crazy in our theology that we just can't take a simple story that Jesus tells and see simple truths in it? Do you know that most pastors never preach on the end of time? And you know why they don't? It's all over Scripture. But pastors don't preach on it because everybody comes with preconceived theologies that are man-made that you have to fit the Scripture into. And that's bad theology, as we talked last week, okay? That's bad theology, where you take a man-made theory and then everything in the Bible has to fit into it. When it comes to the end times, you were supposed to be taking the Bible... And the other things fit into it, okay? But we do just the opposite. And so we come with all these man-made theories. We try to force the Bible into it when really this is a very simple story. More than that, at the end of the sermon, I'm going to tell you there's really only about five things that the Bible even wants you to know about the end of times. Everything else is just filler. And we so mess it up. It'd be like kind of saying if I gave you this illustration. There was a man walking down the street in the middle of the summer. It was really hot but he was wearing a really heavy red winter coat. And you start writing all these books on what it meant that the coat was red. And it didn't matter at all. You know, you ask the author, what did you mean when it was red? Did you mean when he had a red coat that it's the blood of Jesus for his sins? Did you mean that it's the British army coming in the red coats? And he said, no, it was the first color I thought of. Well, that's kind of what we do with the resurrection, the second coming of Jesus. We put all this stuff into it, and we miss some very, very simple teachings. So there's three very simple teachings that we're going to look at in the story that we have. It's over in Matthew chapter 25, chapter 25 of Matthew, and we're going to read that together. Look at the whole story now. Matthew 25, verse 1. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be compared to ten bridesmaids, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but didn't take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. 
The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all of the bridesmaids woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there won't be enough for us if we give it to you as well. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some more for yourselves. But while they were away to the, buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The bridesmaids went into the reception at the wedding banquet, and the door was shut and locked. Later, the others came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch. You don't know the day or the hour. Now, there are three really simple teachings in here. This is not a complicated story. But the three teachings are very important for us to understand as Christians. This is not complicated. This is not advanced theology. It's very straightforward. We miss the simple truths when we make it otherwise. So what are the three main points? The first is this. Get ready to write this down. Jesus is coming again. Okay, That's the first main part of this story. Matthew 24 and 25 are the largest sections of teaching in the entire New Testament of Jesus on the second coming. It's about the end of times and the second coming. And the overarching point of it all is that Jesus is coming again. So if you want to read the entire book of Revelation, read everything else in the Bible uh, about what it says about the second coming, that's the number one thing it wants you to know. So right there, you can throw a lot of your books out the door. You can do a lot of stuff. Number one thing, Jesus is coming again. Okay, everybody get that, all right? That's the, that's the number one thing that it's trying to say. That's the way the gospel of Matthew ends. Jesus is coming again. It's the way the gospel of John ends. Jesus is coming again. Paul, over and over again in his letters, says Jesus is coming again. It's the way the Bible ends in Revelation 22. Jesus is coming again. The early Christians believed it was so important that a greeting that early Christians gave was Maranatha. And Maranatha means the Lord is coming or, or, oh, Lord, come. And that's how they greeted each other. Ha, they'd say, Maranatha, the Lord is coming or, oh, Lord, come. Uh, and so that became one of the staples of the early church. But again, we've so mixed it up with all of our theologies and trying to figure out what the red coat means that we missed the simple point that the number one thing we're being told is Jesus is coming again. Now, in our story of the ten bridesmaids, Obviously, the one who is coming again, Jesus, is the, is the groom in this story. He's the bridegroom, and they are waiting for him to come to the reception. And uh, we're not told why he's late in coming to the reception. And again, in the commentaries, there's like 50 different ideas until I glossed over, and I said, I don't think it even matters. He's just late, okay? Uh, that's what it means. Have you ever been to a wedding where somebody was late in getting there? Anybody? That was actually in the wedding, like the bride or the groom. I was actually performing a wedding. The, the song comes to the right point. Me and all the groomsmen and the groom come out. We stand there. The song gets over. No bridesmaids, no bride. So they start the song over again. It goes through a second time. No bridesmaids, no bride. And so I finally walked to the, to the second pew where the bride's brother is, and I said, Hey, man, where's your sister? And he said, I have no idea. And I said, well, will you go see if you can find her? And he said, okay. So he gets up and he leaves. I go back. In the meantime, everybody's staring at us as they start round three of the, of the bridal march. After about time of round four or five, 
the brother comes in, walks all the way down the aisle like a bridesmaid and walks up to me and says, they lost track of time. They were talking. They said they'd be up in a few minutes. And I said, you know, what's going on here? So there are times that the bride or the bridegroom are right. So the, the, the groom is late. This is Jesus. The point being, very simply, that Jesus the groom is coming again. And that's the number one thing that we're supposed to see in our scripture passage, that he is coming. Now, why is that important? Why is it important for us to know that Jesus is coming again? I would say three again, very simple things why it's important. Number one, it's important because it gives us hope. It gives us hope. It teaches us this. We win. Isn't that nice? (laughs) There's victory. That in all of this mess of life, in all of the turmoil of our world, in all of the things that are going on and the things that depress you, both, both with your own life and with our world in general. You know, you look around and go, what's going on in our world? What's going on in our culture? What's going on with our politics? What's going on uh, with, with terrorism? We saw the insane shooting in Savannah, another one again. And we think, what's, go-? not Savannah, I mean uh, uh, Virginia Beach. And uh, we see all of those things and we wonder, what's going on in our world? And yet we're told here that one of the main things about the second coming is that there is victory in Jesus Christ. That when Jesus comes again, we're told that he's going to right every wrong. He's going to, to level every mountain. He's going, to, he's going to take those who are righteous and take them into his kingdom. There's going to be judgment for others that God does right the wrongs of this world. That in heaven there's going to be a place of no more tears and no more crying and no more hurt and no more pain. That all of the things that have plagued you in this world will be gone and our hope rests in the second coming. That Jesus is coming again and that is where we get our hope and we get our peace and we get our strength and that knowledge and that fact. A second thing that the, the belief in Jesus coming again gives us is it shows us that God's in charge. This isn't a random universe where things are just happening. That this is God's plan altogether. That history is moving towards its culmination. That God is in charge of it all. And that one day he's going to come and redeem the world. And so, yes, there's hope and God is in charge. The world's not out of control. You can pick up the newspaper any day of the week and think, man, this world is simply out of control. But the truth of the matter, it is not out of control. God is still in charge. God is still on the throne. The second coming shows us that. And finally, we look at the second coming because uh, it is important. It, It brings the restoration of all things. It brings your ultimate salvation. Right now, you still mess up. You still commit sins. You're saved and you're forgiven, but you're not a perfect person. You still have have thoughts and problems and troubles. You still do things that are wrong. But one day, there's going to be that total restoration that you're going to have in heaven. And that's something that we're looking forward to. But it's not just your restoration. It's the restoration of the entire universe. Even this planet is going to be restored to what God intended for it to be in the Garden of Eden. So when we say that Jesus is coming again, it means a lot more than just, hey, uh, I'm, go- I'm going out and, and, uh, to Walmart for a few minutes and I'll be back. Uh, it, it's more than that. It's that he's coming to, for your hope, for your victory, to, to uh, bring the restoration of all things. 
Now, I don't particularly remember this one myself, but in 1942, when the Japanese took over the Philippine armies and Douglas MacArthur left the Philippines, when he got to Australia, he made this statement after getting through Japanese gunships uh, under heavy fire. He said, I've made it through and I shall return. And I've got a picture of the newspaper here uh, the day after uh, MacArthur said that, that famous uh, statement. And, uh, you know, right there, the general returns with his armies to Luzon. That was in 1944. Two years. He was gone two years, uh, and after two years, MacArthur did return. And that's exactly the main teaching of our scripture passage, is that what Jesus is trying to say to us is, I am returning, I will be back. And so that's the number one thing to get. Jesus is coming back. Now, there's a second, also very deep theological thing for you to get. The first is Jesus coming again. The second story that hits our scripture passage that is so important is this. Nobody knows when he's coming back. Okay? He's coming back, but no one knows when he's coming back. Now, we see that throughout our story. We're told that there were two kinds of bridesmaids. There were foolish bridesmaids, and there were wise bridesmaids. Look down to verse... uh, Four and five. The wise ones took oil in jars along with their, lot, their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. So they're looking for the bridegroom. They're expecting the bridegroom to show up, but he's delayed. Nobody knows when he's going to get there, and all ten fall asleep. Not just the foolish ones. Even those who are wise fall asleep because of the delay in his coming. And so we see here that, okay, there is a delay. Where is he? When's he going to come? And so no one knows for sure when he's going to come. If you look a chapter over in Matthew 24, verse 36, it says this. The day and the hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, not even the Son, but only the Father. So Jesus said, look, I don't even know uh, when that time is going to be. Only God himself knows that, but there's coming a time uh, when the Son of Man will return. So no one knows when that time is going to be. And so because of that, uh, it's been, what, 2,000 years. 2,000 years seems like a long time, doesn't it? Well, that's addressed over in, in uh, Peter, in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Turn over to that. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. So what we're being told here is God sees time differently than we do. We, God sees a day like a thousand years because he's seeing every minute particle and everything happening in every instance of the day. So for God, a single day is like a thousand years. But in the same way, a thousand years is just like a day to God. So he's not viewing time the way that we view time. Now, that, that's true with you as well. Uh, you might be waiting for your kid to get out of school in the, car, in the carpool line. And 15 minutes seems like three days or something like that while you're waiting in the carpool line thinking, why won't that lady in front of me just pull off? Why is she talking to the teacher? You know, or something like that. You know, and, uh, you know, so it might seem like 15 minutes is forever. But then you're watching a ball game that goes into double overtime and you think, man, that, was the, that just seemed like a snap of my finger. I can't believe that went by so fast. 
or something like that. So, so time is judged differently by God. But then he goes on in verse 9, and he says this. Keep reading. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some people understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So we're told one reason for the delay is that God wants everyone saved. That that this isn't about God's wrath and judgment. It's about God's love. And he wants everyone saved because when Jesus does come again, it's the end of the world and it's going to be the judgment of the world. And so that's not going to be good for everybody. Uh, And so he's saying, so one reason of the delay is for us to have the opportunity to lead as many people as we can to the Lord. So no one knows when Jesus is coming again. So anybody that tells you that they do, anybody that has it all figured out, anybody that shows you their graft of when it's going to be, they're wrong, okay? When Jesus comes again, there's not going to be any doubt because everybody's going to know it. We're told that there's going to be lightning that crosses the sky. There's going to be a trumpet sound. He's going to appear in heaven, and it's the end of the world. So here's how you'll know if you're being tricked as to Jesus coming again. If it's not the end of the world and you're not being judged, then it's not Jesus coming again, okay? That's how you'll know. So, so don't think, well, this guy's doing miracles. He's out in the desert somewhere. Doesn't matter. If the world doesn't end and you're not either in heaven or hell, then it hadn't happened, okay? So that's a pretty good thing to keep in your hopper right there. So what are the two things that we've seen so far? We've seen Jesus is coming again and no one knows when. The third one is the number one reason you have end-time teachings. It's not for your enjoyment and understanding more about God. The reason anything in the Bible at all is there about the end time is for one major overriding purpose that is more important than anything else. You ready? And that's this. So if Jesus is coming again and no one knows when, you'd better be ready any time that it might happen. That's the whole main point of the teachings. See, end-time teaching is a lot simpler than you thought, isn't it? It's a whole lot simpler. He's coming again. Nobody knows why. So you had better be ready when he comes. Our entire story that we're looking at today is about being ready. We're told that there were ten bridesmaids, five wise, five foolish. What separated the wise from the foolish? Look at verse 2. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but didn't take any oil with them. The wise ones took oil in jars along with their lamps. And so the difference is, one was ready, one group was ready, the other group wasn't ready. They had little oil lamps back then. There weren't candles, candles hadn't been invented yet. There were the little oil lamps, and the oil would burn out fairly quickly. The bridegroom is delayed, and so everybody's oil has burned out of their lamp. And when the bridegroom comes, there's nothing to go out and meet him with. But five, we're told, brought extra oil in case there was a delay, and five did not bring extra oil. And so that's the difference between the wise and the foolish, is that one group was prepared and another wasn't. So what's it look like to be prepared for something? I'm going to show you two examples from a baseball game. Here's the first example of being prepared for something. A bat comes flying on to the stands. This is, off the, this is Dennis Ortiz threw his bat into the stands uh, when he missed a pitch. This poor boy is texting. 
not watching the ball game. Probably a real disappointment to his dad. But anyway, anyway, that's the side note. We don't need to go there. You know, the back comes. Look how everybody's reacting except daddy. What does daddy do? Sticks his hand out there and saves his baby boy. He didn't expect it to happen, but he was ready when it did happen. Now, here's another picture from a baseball game. A sideline reporter before the game starts is taking a selfie of the field. She knows she's pretty. She wants everybody on Instagram to see how good looking she is. But she doesn't know a ball's about to smack her in the back of the head that's coming on right there. She wasn't prepared. Neither one expected it to happen. One, though, was ready for anything. The other wasn't. And that's exactly what we see in our scripture passage. Again, down to verse 7. The bridegroom has come. The call's been made. All the bridesmaids woke up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there won't be enough for us. Instead, go to those who sell and buy some yourselves. So what's the point being made here? Nobody can get you ready but yourself. Okay? Your parents can give you a good foundation. They can bring you to church. They can teach you about God. But there comes a point in time it has to become your faith. It can't be your parents' faith. Somebody else can't do it for you. Give me some of your oil. You have to be personally prepared. Somebody else can't be prepared for you. And so when this happened, there was nothing that they could do. They weren't prepared. So in verse 10, on their way to buy the oil, and it's probably hard to find a place open at midnight in Jerusalem, you know. You know, to, to buy oil. The bridegroom arrived. The bridesmaids who were ready went into the wedding feast. The door was shut. Later, others came and said, Lord, open the door. And he said, I don't know you. There are a lot of people who will not be prepared for the second coming. And when that happens, then they are going to be those uh, who are going to miss out on all of the joy of Jesus coming again. And then the point of the story is made in verse 13. Therefore, keep watch. You don't know the day of the hour. That's the whole point of the story. So this entire story, when I was reading the commentaries, I said, oh, this is so complicated. When did it happen? Is it this period or that period? The point of the story is be ready. Jesus is coming. You don't know when, so be ready. So what do you do personally to be ready for Jesus coming again, because that's the most important thing we'll ever know. What's it mean to be ready? Well, first and foremost, to be ready, you have given your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you follow him. That's the number one thing. Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You've accepted him. You believe in him. To be ready, that's the number one thing. If you don't have that, you are not ready, and you will never be ready. Okay, so Jesus needs to be in your life. He needs to be your Lord and Savior. You need to have made that commitment to him. That is first and foremost and primary. So if you want to say, am I ready for the second coming? That's the first question to ask. Have I given my life to Jesus Christ? Is he in my life? Has he forgiven me? Am I his servant? The second thing is this. Uh, now, now each, each of these, uh, as you look at them, they kind of build upon the other. When you've given your life to Christ, then God expects you to live your life in, a, in his family, which is the church. So you need to find a church, you need to join a church, you need to be a part of that church. God does not intend us to go through this life alone. 
We were supposed to go through life together with other believers, and the way that we do that is called the church. The church is the family of God. So you're never going to be fully ready as you should if you're not involved in a church. Number three, live a life of loving God and loving others. All that stuff that we, that we, we talk about and all the advanced theology boils down to love God and love other people. If you want to be ready, do that. How you're loving God, how you're loving other people. That's going to be primary. And then number four, tell people about Jesus. Why is there a delay? Well, one of the main reasons for the delay is that we need to be leading everyone to Christ. So you need to be telling other people about the hope in Jesus and getting them to Christ. The Boy Scouts have a motto. Anybody know what the Boy Scout motto is? Be prepared. That's right. Always be prepared no matter what. And uh, so, you know, that's the Boy Scout motto. Well, that should be the motto of Christians when it comes to second coming teachings is to always be prepared and to be ready for Jesus to come again. You know, sometimes when it comes to the second coming, we, we confuse things and make it so complicated when the points are really, really very simple. I told you I was going to go over the main points of all New Testament teachings about the second coming, and I'm going to do that now real quickly. Jesus is coming again. We already got that one. No one knows when. We've got that one. Before he comes, it's going to get really bad, okay? And uh, when he comes, there's the end of the world and the judgment, and the whole point of you knowing any of that is to be ready and prepared. If you know what I just said to you now, You know every single thing the Bible is trying to teach you about the end times. Now, you can find more detail, and you can find more stuff about it, which is good, but those are the main teachings. That's everything it's trying to tell you. So why it gets so complicated, I never know. Gary Marquardt uh, was at a friend's funeral in 2014 who was a veteran, and uh, there wasn't a trumpet player when it came time to play taps and so they did a, a tape, and the tape kept stopping, and they couldn't get it to work right. It would play for a few minutes, and then it would stop, and, and uh, it was really annoying the entire time. And afterwards, he talked to them, and he said, couldn't, was there no trumpet player available? And they said, well, this isn't like it was even 20 years ago. Nobody plays the trumpet anymore, and there's just nobody to play taps at most military funerals if you can't get the honor guard uh, to come in or something like that. So at 70 years of age, Gary Marquardt decided he was going to do something. He was going to teach himself to play the trumpet. And so his wife said it was the longest year of her life uh, (laughs) as he tried to teach himself to play trumpet. But he finally got where he could play taps really well. And he started letting funeral homes know, don't do a recording, I'll be glad to do it. The first month he told them that, he had three dozen uh, calls to play taps. Since then, he does about a dozen funerals a week. Got a picture of Gary here right there. Now, what does that teach us? It teaches us that there was a man who saw something that he said wasn't the way it was supposed to be, and therefore, he taught himself to be ready whenever he might be called to help in this situation. You need to be looking at your life and asking yourself this question. Am I ready for Jesus to come again? And then look at the areas of your life and say, if he came right now at this second, would I say, okay, I'm ready, I'm prepared, 
I've got it all done. I've talked to everybody I need to talk to in my life who need Jesus. I'm living the way that I want to live. I've said that I love you to the people I needed to say that to. The relationships that are strained, I've done my best to put them back together. Whatever it is, are you prepared if this was it and Jesus came right now? Because no one knows when that time is going to come. We're told it was in the days of Noah. Everybody was eating and drinking. And, you know, people were just going along their daily life. And then suddenly the flood came. And we're told that's what it's going to be like when Jesus comes again. So are you ready? That's the number one question for you to ask. Now, if you can answer that question and say, yes, I'm ready, then the next question is this. What are the people that in my life that I need to be working with to make sure that they're ready as well? If that's all you got out of what we're talking about today, you probably have got the number one teaching about the end times in the Bible. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us the hope that's there in your return. And Father, help us to get personally ready and to make sure that those that we love and that those that you bring into our paths are ready as well. In Jesus' name, amen. As we begin this time of invitation, the first thing I would say is for you to ask yourself that simple question, am I ready? And if not, what do you need to do? If you've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, then make this that day. Nobody can do it for you. Come down this aisle and say, I want Jesus in my life. If you've never followed him in baptism and you say, okay, for really to be ready, I, I want to make that step. I want other people to know I believe in him. And you come and you say, Chip, I want to I be baptized. Maybe you've been coming to this church for a long time and you believe this is the place God has called you to be as a family. Then come and join this church. Be a part of this church. Find the family that God is leading you to and then become a part of that family. But wherever you are, ask yourself, what's the next step I need to be making to be as ready as I can be? You may have problems and troubles and things going on in your life. The second coming is all about God winning the victory in and through and for you. You can come and pray at this altar for God's strength, God's encouragement, God's help. got ministers that will pray with you. And then I would just say maybe there's people in your life who are hurting right now. And people in your life who aren't ready. And you just, right where you're standing, you come and pray with ministers. Just say, Lord, help me to be an example and a help and a witness. Help me to be the one that has the people in my family come to you or my friends and help them to be ready. But this is your time and your opportunity, however God leads you. Uh, Sarah, if you'll come on down, bring Brandon with you, if you don't mind. We'll even let him get some face time. So, Sarah, I want to present you this baptismal certificate. Congratulations. And uh, it's her husband, Brandon. And uh, we're going to have them stay down front. And you can come by and say a word to them as well. And then Larry and Cindy, come on up, guys, if you, if you don't mind. These are two people I don't want you to talk to, okay? Because they have known me since elementary school. <laughs> Not high school, elementary school. And they have probably seen the worst that, that I can be. And hopefully sometimes along the way, the, the more moderate of what I could be is, as well. Uh, so you can talk to them, but don't ask them about me uh, at all. 
But uh, Larry and Cindy are coming despite all of that, uh, saying that they like you all anyway, and uh, that uh, they want to become a part of our church and join our church family. So uh, if you rejoice with them and with Sarah, would everybody just say amen? Amen. Amen. Welcome, guys. So we're going to have a prayer, and if you'll come and say uh, hi to Larry and Cindy and Sarah and Brandon, listen, let them know how happy you are. Uh, to have them in our church family today, okay? And as you go out, really very simple. Just just do all that you can to be ready and to make a positive influence in this world. And uh, then you've got what it's, the end times is talking all about in the Bible. Let's close with a prayer. Father, thank you for Sarah and the decision that she made today in her baptism. Uh, just thank you for her and Brandon. And uh, as they're, they, uh, they come and they, they start this time with us and just let this be the church that uh, will feed and, and, and encourage them. Uh, they can serve in. Thank you for Larry and Cindy coming, dear Lord. I uh, have uh, known them for a long time and just uh, I look forward to serving with them. I know they're both such talented people. And, and uh, we just thank you for making our family stronger and better today. And as we go out, help us to live a life that shows that we are prepared and uh, that we want others to be prepared as well. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.